It's my uh, privilege and honor to introduce Bob Harbert to you. Uh, we've been praying for him for the better part of a year, and some of you may know him, but not enough of you. Bob works in the accounting office as the controller for the college, and he's received payments from many, if not all of you. Bob is a 1978 graduate of Covenant College, receiving a BA in chemistry. He also holds an MBA from Emory University. After attending Covenant College, Bob worked for four years for Bausch & Lawn in Florida. He returned to work at Covenant College in 1982 and has been here for the past 34 years. For 18 of those years, <clears throat> he served as the Vice President for Finance and Administration and the Chief Financial Officer of the college. And as far as I know, he was the only certified sewage plant manager that we had during the years that Covenant managed its own treatment plant. Bob is the longest serving elder on the session at St. Elmo Presbyterian Church. He has a heart for the least of these and is well loved for his matter-of-fact view of life and his keen sense of humor. His wife, Joni, also graduated from Covenant College, as did his two daughters, Allison and Ashley. Bob and Joni have four grandchildren. Bob is a truly gifted individual and a natural teacher. Some of you have been in classes that he's audited over the past couple of years, and you could testify to his insights and his perspectives. Among other interests, Bob and I serve as furniture movers for our wives' home staging business, and he is a competent electrician. Bob asked to speak to us today to share some insights from this past year, a truly difficult year. Last October, during an already challenging time, Bob was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. While Bob is currently working most days, the, the last months have been times of hospitalization, surgery, chemotherapy, with more treatments to come, including surgery this coming Monday. While we have all been concerned for his health and for Bob and Joni in general, they have consistently ministered to everyone who crosses their paths, including us today. Please join me in welcoming a true friend and brother, Bob Harper. First thing I want to do this morning is introduce my wife. If you'll stand up, Joni. She deserves every bit as much. Thank you, Jeff. That, uh, you left out my great humility. I, I, I'm really proud of that, and you completely left it out of the... Yeah. For those of you who are visiting here today, uh, you're sort of like coming in to a family meeting. Uh, there's been, it's been a tough year for this community with cancer and Guillain-Barre syndrome, other things. So uh, my offering to speak today in ways that I hope are helpful uh, is kind of like a family talking together. And as, and as visitors to the campus, I'm delighted you're here and we'll look forward to those accepted students being here in the fall. Uh, but uh, some of this may seem a little unusual for a, a chapel speak. I won't be exegeting scripture very much. Joni and I have, uh, we've had a rough year and a half. Uh, about 10 years ago, 
her father was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is a blood cancer, and given about two years to live. Fast forward eight years, he's still alive. Our dad is a, was a tough old bird. And, uh, but their health, his health had deteriorated to the point where he and our mom couldn't really live, we thought, independently anymore. They had been living in our guest cottage for those eight years. After the diagnosis, we moved him uh, on, into living near us. And their health had gotten to the point where they just couldn't really live independently anymore, in our judgment. <laughs> Not really in theirs. Uh, it was a difficult thing, but uh, we uh, told them we were going to sell our house on the mountain, uh, just south of the college here, and we were going to build another one, uh, which we did, down in Chattanooga Valley, which had an attached apartment, all on one level form, roll-in shower, all the appropriate handicapped accessible features at they, would, they probably needed and certainly would in the near future. They weren't really happy about that either, but they moved, <laughs> mainly because we put all their stuff on a truck and they didn't have much, <laughs> much choice. Later uh, that year, uh, it, it became clearer and clearer to Joni and I that we, that we needed to sort of take over their financial and legal lives, which Joni began to do. They resisted that pretty much at every opportunity. It was humiliating and intrusive for them, which we regretted. It was incredibly stressful for Joni, which I regretted. Dad then went into the hospital in February of 2015 and never came back. Uh, it, he moved to a nursing home after about 10 days uh, in intensive care on a respirator. By early last summer, uh, we moved Mom into an apartment at the, on the same property as, as Dad's nursing home, in the same building, in fact so that she could visit him whenever she wanted. Joni wouldn't have to go and uh, take her and bring her back home. A month later, she was evicted. <laughs> her dementia had gotten to the point where uh, there had been some incidents and the people said she can't live here anymore. So we moved her to an assisted living facility in Fort Oglethorpe, which was near to where uh, the house we were then living in was. And we moved Dad into a nursing home, which was basically right just around the corner. Uh, the facilities you can almost see from each other. And that was fine. The assisted living facility said that they'd take her to see Dad every day, so Joni wouldn't have to go and, and, uh, and do that. After a month or two, the nursing home, the assisted living facility, rather, was told they couldn't bring Wilma to see Bob anymore by herself. There had been some incidents at that nursing home. It started to become a pattern. <laughs> we, uh, so, uh, Joni was back to, to picking her mom up at the assisted living facility and taking her 200 yards to the nursing home and having to sit for a couple hours while they visited. Uh, by, uh, after another couple months, we realized, we didn't realize, we learned that Georgia considers dementia to be a qualifying condition to go into a nursing home under Medicaid, which Tennessee did not. So we, we did the paperwork and we moved mom into the same room with dad at the nursing home. At that point, we're roughly in midsummer, and the thinking was, we're in a pretty sustainable life now. Life is okay. Uh, we can go visit them whenever we want. We don't have to be there every day for hours. Mom and Dad are together, which is what they expressed they wanted. Uh, Dad's physical health continued to decline. Mom's dementia continued to get worse. At times, she wasn't sure who we were, or, and sometimes, who Dad was. I still remember the day she asked me who he was in the other bed, and I said, well, Mom, that's, that's Dad, that's your husband. And she said, I'm married? 
And I said, yeah, you've been married for 60 years. And she said, 60 years? How old am I? <laughs> well, Mom, you're pretty old. <laughs> uh, in August, we, uh, let's go up to August 15, I decided to sit in on Kelly Capick's Faith and Suffering class. It seemed like a natural class. I, I wanted to sort of get, Kelly's a wise man, as any of you who have taken his classes know, and I wanted to get his thoughts on faith and suffering. So, uh, I was sitting in on the class, and one day he, he asked the class, he said, the next class period, you're all going to write a lament. Well, I missed that class because I had a meeting and I couldn't reschedule. So I show up for the next class, and he says, okay, everybody, like we said last class, you're going to write a lament. Well, I hadn't spent any time thinking about writing a lament. So he sends us off to go sit around the overlook in some slightly removed place on our own, and I have a blank piece of paper and a pencil. I've never been a writer. I don't, I don't blog. I don't journal. They used to call them diaries. I don't do that either. I mostly just live, I guess. Probably <laughs> unthoughtfully at that. But so here I am, blank piece of paper and pencil, and I had the oddest experience. This lament just fell out of me. It was like I wasn't even writing it. I, I wonder if it wasn't just a hint of what the authors of Scripture felt under the inspiration of the Spirit. You know, somehow mixing their own personality with God's inspiration to write something. What I wrote isn't inspired, but it kind of felt like somebody else was writing it. I had lunch with Kelly the other day. <laughs> he suggested I read it to you. This was where my heart was in September of 2015. It's in the, what came out was in the form of a conversation between God and I. I will attempt to get through this. <laughs> Why did my daughter's husband break her heart? I know, little child. Won't you tell me, Father? I won't, my son. Why does my wife have to live in pain? I know, little child. Won't you tell me, Father? It would make it easier. It wouldn't, my son. Why do parents have to bury their children? It isn't right. It isn't, little child. Then get rid of death, Father. I am, my son. Why are your people abused and persecuted and killed? Can't you protect them? I can, little child. Then do something. I did, my son. Why do parents need to finish their lives in unrelenting misery? How is that merciful? It is, little child. Then I don't understand mercy. You don't, my son. But it all hurts so much sometimes. I know it does, little child. How do you know, Father? I have felt all the pain of sin, my son. Can't you make it all stop? I can, little child. Then do it, Father. I started 2,000 years ago and will finish soon, my son. I believe you, Father. Help my unbelief. I love you, my son. That's what came out. That's where I was after what Joni and I thought was a really hard year that had come in some ways to an end and a period we thought of respite. Then October, <laughs> my annual physical had been in August and I mentioned to the, my doctor that I felt abdominal discomfort from time to time. Not really pain, just a sensation like I'd eaten way too much. So he said, let's try six weeks of Nexium. We'll see what happens. Well, what happened was the pain became pretty much all the time and got a little worse. But it still wasn't what I'd think of as bad pain. I've felt bad pain in my life, and this wasn't it. 
So he ordered a CT scan of my abdomen for Monday, October 12th. That same Monday night, my wife and I have a tradition of going to Mr. T's for pizza on Monday nights. We had sat down, we had ordered. Just as the dude was sitting the pizza down, my phone rings, and it's my doctor. Here's a tip. If your doctor calls you at 6 o'clock at night, it isn't good news. My doctor said, you have severe pancreatitis. Now, that's inflammation of the pancreas. It's generally very painful. I said, okay, what does that mean? He said, well, you need to stop eating. I said, what, you mean like some kinds of foods? He know, no, you need to stop eating everything. Well, how long am I supposed to stop eating? He said, it usually takes 10 days to two weeks to resolve. I said, how am I supposed to go 10 days or two weeks without eating? And he said, well, that's the thing. You're the first person I've ever seen with severe pancreatitis that's still walking around functioning. He said, usually they're in the hospital on morphine, so they don't know they're not eating. So I stopped eating. I didn't eat that pizza. I paid for that pizza, but I didn't get to eat it. I am, after all, an accountant. So my doctor scheduled an MRI, which is a more sensitive test, for Thursday, October 15th, and then an appointment with a GI specialist on, for Friday the 16th. So I go have the GI uh, uh, CT scan. Joni and I go to the GI's office on Friday, and he says, the scan shows it's a tumor. Uh, nope, sorry, a mass. They don't call them tumors anymore. They either call them masses or nodules, or every now and then a lesion. All of those are bad things. They used to call all of them tumors, but now they're different. So he said, you have a mass, and it's pinching shut the duct that drains the fluid that your pancreas produces. It produces insulin and digestive enzymes, and the duct that sends that out into your digestive system was pinched shut by a mass. So he said, that's why you have pancreatitis. He said, I can do two procedures today. He said, I can biopsy the mass to see what it is. And he said, I can, uh, I can do a procedure to stick a tube in your duct to relieve the pancreas swelling. I said, great. He said, I'd be in the hospital overnight. I didn't go home for three weeks. He couldn't get the stent in place, and attempting to do so made the pancreas even more angry and more swollen. They started me on narcotics and a lot of anti-nausea meds. The biopsy came back on Tuesday while I was in the hospital that it was adenocarcinoma. About a week later, I started chemotherapy while in the hospital. About a week after that, I almost died of a stomach bleed that was caused by the swollen pancreas shoving blood vessels into my stomach, which then ruptured. So I threw up blood for a couple days, and then they did a procedure to go in and cauterize those. Also, while I was in the hospital, Dad died. So my wife not only had to deal with an incapacitated husband, but she had to deal with all the things attendant to burying your father. And that was with a mom who had dementia. Uh, Joni, as far as mom goes right now, Joni's the only one uh, she recognizes. She doesn't... Uh, recognize me, uh, but uh, she's reasonably okay in the nursing home. So well, we fast forward to December 28th when I had surgery. They removed most of my pancreas, my spleen, and my gallbladder, and I began a second round of chemotherapy that ended March 31 after uh, the surgery recovery. Since then, I'm tired almost all the time. Uh, 
really tired for some reason Saturday afternoons and Sundays. But other than that, I haven't really had particularly any side effects from the chemo. I'm thankful for that. Chemo sucks, but not as bad as cancer. I have a second surgery scheduled for Monday, as Jeff said. They'll take the rest of my pancreas out, my duodenum, which is a tube that connects the stomach and the small intestine. Then they'll yank my small intestines up and sew it to my stomach. It all sounds wonderfully interesting and probably something I'd enjoy a video of, but I don't think I'm going to get the chance. After recovering from that surgery, I'll have five weeks of radiation Monday through Friday, and that will complete the treatment as far as they currently tell me. Adenocarcinoma has a 10% survival rate at one year and less than a 5% survival rate at five years. The average lifespan of someone at the point they're diagnosed is five months. I've lived a little over six months. I'm already ahead of the curve in God's providence. Uh, the day I learned those statistics was in a radiation oncologist's office, and he said it pretty close to word for word this way to Joni and me. You know, you can do the second surgery, you can do the chemo, you can do the radiation, but the reality is you've got a very small chance of living a year. He said, it's going to go to your liver. Once it gets in the liver, it can't be treated, and you have four or five months to live at that point. That's pretty much exactly the way he said it. I told him he was looking at the world the way the author of Ecclesiastes calls under the sun. It's the way the world looks apart from belief in God. His world is prognosis and probabilities and average mortality and survival rates. My world is belief in a sovereign God that controls my destiny. Well, thank you. <laughs> the, uh, I told the doctor that I could die on the way home from that appointment in a car accident, or I could live for 20 years. And neither he nor I had any better idea when I was going to die than that. He was kind of amused by my attitude. Uh, of the four doctors involved in my care, the only one I know to be a believer is my primary care doctor. He's a terrific guy. The others I'm not sure about, but at least my radiation oncologist has something to think about. So now, what I've learned from all this, and what I think might be helpful, apart from the meandering history of a, of a sick old man, here's things I've learned from my wife, or about my wife. Cancer is harder on the ones closest to you than it is on you. I thought Joni had hit about as high a stress level as a human can do during the, that year of dealing with her parents, only to find out there's whole new levels. It's like you finish a video game and you learn, oh, two more levels open up you didn't even know exist. Cancer and the treatments for it are painful and disruptive and draining, but they're not as bad as feeling absolutely helpless while watching somebody you love suffer. Uh, she has walked this path with me with grace and faith and humor in ways that amaze me every day. Scripture talks about the value of traveling with a companion in case you fall in a ditch. I have lived that with Joni for the last year. When I get low, she reminds me of faith in God and hope in the future. And when she gets low, I remind her. I'm thankful that we haven't both hit lows together very often. Joni and I are thankful that God has extended my life this far. We hope he'll continue to do so for many years. But the reality of the prognosis is hard. And it often intrudes on our thoughts. I can't imagine life in this world without Joni. And I don't think she can imagine life in this world without me. Despite that, we've had to have conversations about life insurance, what to do with the house, what to, what to do with a dozen other things. 
that frankly are hard and tearful, but they're conversations that had to happen. On a related matter, any of you with children, adult children, sit down with them, open yourselves transparently to them about what you want for your end of life issues and your finances. Don't do to <laughs> your kids what Joni's folks did to Joni. Be open and transparent with them. It will be a gift to them. Joni and I try to wake up every day and make our first thoughts that we're thankful for the day, thankful for being forgiven by God, and thankful to be married to each other. We laugh more than we cry. Our children and grandchildren help a lot with that part. Other than each other and his own son and spirit, they're the greatest gifts God has given us. Before I got sick, Joni and I talked about what we wanted our lives to be like after retirement. We settled on three descriptive words, hospitality, generosity, and curiosity. We still think the same thing now. Those are still the things we want to focus on for as long as God gives us strength. What I've learned from my pastor, Cal Burroughs is our pastor at St. Elmo. He's a gifted preacher. He's been preaching through James. Let me read you the first four verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's a hard text when you're suffering. Consider it joy. Yay! <laughs> Cancer! Cal helpfully exegeted that to mean that James isn't saying that we need to be joyful about the suffering itself. What James is saying is that the suffering produces something that is a joyful thing. And our joy comes from looking through the suffering to the joyful things it produces. And there's been some of that uh, in, the last, uh, in the last year and a half for Joni and I. It has done some helpful things. And for those things, we're joyful. I just wish we could have learned those lessons some other way. <laughs> what I've learned from cancer and cancer patients... Of all the ways that sin has broken this world, I'm sorry, I'm going to go over a couple minutes. I apologize to the faculty. Of all the ways that sin has broken this world, cancer has to be among the most widespread and painful. The chemo room is almost always full when I'm there, and there are a whole lot of chemo rooms in this world. The creation groans in wait for the day of Christ's return and its complete healing, and I think cancer is one of its biggest groans. I can't speak for all patients, but I've spoken with enough. I think I can capture some things that I think they'd like to tell you. Cancer and most other chronic debilitating health conditions can take over our lives if we let it. It's almost like it's a separate being that wants to force your life into a tiny little space, consume every conversation, every hour of the day, and all the dark hours of the night when you can't sleep. Cancer can leave us feeling alone. Even though there are so many people with it, every person's particular set of symptoms and treatment side effects are different. So you never really feel like maybe anybody really knows what it's like for you. It's family and friends that pull us back and broaden our lives. Uh, cancer makes simple things more complicated. I, ask, I get asked, how are you? A lot. We all do. It's a cultural greeting in our country. How you doing? Pass people on the street. 
how you doing? I'm fine, how are you? And you don't even answer each other, you just keep walking. It's the equivalent of saying hi or hello. But when you get that question as a cancer patient, you have to figure out, does the person really want an, a full answer? Or do they want the culturally appropriate, okay, how are you? If we mess that up, if you ask me, how are you? And I give you a five-minute explanation about what I'm feeling like and what's coming up, and you didn't want that, I apologize. If, on the other hand, you ask me, how are you? And I say, okay, fine, how are you? And you really wanted the five-minute explanation as to what I'm really feeling like, then just say, no, I'd really like the honest answer. It's difficult sometimes for people with chronic disease to know how to answer simple questions. But it's okay. Uh, you can be a blessing for us just by showing up. Job's friends came to visit and sat with him silently for a week. I don't actually want any of you to come sit at my house and stare at me for a week. But it did show the depth of concern that they had for Job. And whether silent or not, a visit is, a, is an encouraging thing for a cancer patient. Don't worry if you don't know what to say. It's okay. It really is. Just be there. You can be a blessing to us by talking uh, about something other than cancer. It's wonderful if you tell us happy news in your life. I promise you, we won't resent your happiness. You can be a blessing for us by inviting us to do something that doesn't involve doctors. Up to the limit of our physical strength, take us to the mall and make fun of what young people wear. Oh, wait, that's just for old people like me. <laughs> take us to a baseball game. Play board or card games with us. Do anything that comes to your head, that comes to your mind, that gets us out of our heads. Because left to ourselves, cancer will try and consume our every thought. What I've learned from God's people, the body of Christ is real. I believed it intellectually, but had never had the opportunity to experience it in the ways I have since October, and I'm thankful for that. I've been impressed with the response of this community to the students with cancer in Guillaume-Barre. You have responded in love, compassion, and helpfulness to them. Know that they appreciate that more than they can put into words. I've received cards and cookies from students here at the college I can't eat the cookies. I became a diabetic the day they took out most of my pancreas. But I deeply appreciate that some of you would take time from studying to encourage an old man you don't even know very well. Know that I appreciate it more than I can put into words. I've had visits, phone calls, cards, and letters from folks I haven't seen in years. I've enjoyed talking to more folks in my own congregation than I ever did before cancer. I regret it took cancer to seemingly reduce my deep introversion that makes it difficult for me to initiate conversations with people. I'm aware that there are lots of folks praying for Joni and I. There are folks in churches and organizations I don't even know praying for Joni and I. Some are praying for a miraculous healing, some for healing through medicine, some for Joni and I to just have faith in the midst of it all. I don't actually care what they're praying for, to tell you the truth. It's just humbling that so many are praying at all. I'm not worthy of all the intention, but in God's mercy, it's not about my worth. It's about love among God's people. I've been treated by Betty and Jamie, who work with me in the accounting office, my co-workers on the faculty and staff and the administration and board with compassion and understanding. It's not easy working in a department when one of the three workers never knows how long they're going to be at work or what days or how many half days I lose for scans or appointments 
or the next four weeks for surgery, not every work environment would be so kind. So having said all that, here's the bottom line. I don't know how much longer I'll live in this life, but then again, you don't know how long you'll live in this life either. All of our lives are lived at the pleasure of the king. Joni and I are just much more tuned into that reality now than most folks are, or even we were seven months ago. To end, I'd like to read two quotes from Keith and Kristen Getty hymns and then one verse from Job. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, this is the power of Christ in me. And also from them, death is dead, love has won, Christ has conquered. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, it is our sin that has twisted your world in ways we can't even begin to imagine. And cancer is one of them. It's my sin, my own great sin, and the sin of my brothers and sisters here and throughout human history back to our first parents. And we've done this to ourselves. But in your mercy, you've given wise gifts to men and women in medicine that can alleviate and cure some and give hope to others. Joni and I hope for that. We hope for that for the students who are suffering. We hope for that for family and friends who are. What we hope for most of all, Father, is that you would send your son soon. That he would dry every eye, heal every ill, and consummate a new kingdom full of joy and your presence for eternity. Father, thank you for this time together. Bless our day. Thank you for the kind attention of these folks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.